We're going to look tonight at 1 John. Let's, okay, somebody is asking how to get on the e-newsletter. How many of you have access to the web and you've seen our webpage? And how many of you who have done that are not, did not get the e-newsletter? Okay, when you go to the front page of the home page of our, of our webpage, uh, tpcfamily.org, it gives you the opportunity to subscribe to the e-newsletter. It's very simple. You just click on it, give us your email, and then confirm it, and you get it. And you'll get the next one. We've already gotten a lot of folks on that thing, so amen. If everybody's happy tonight, say praise God. All right, we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 2, and let's just um, stand to read two verses, no, three verses, 15 through 17, and this is what I'm going to be first dealing with, and we're going to get all the way through tonight, um, I believe, verse 19. And I'm going to talk about two things, not loving the world and the Antichrist. Not loving this current world and the Antichrist. So let's read starting at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, wow, say ouch, because this is strong. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here's the three things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's just keep on real quickly. Little children, it is the last hour. How many of your Bibles say last time? Any of them? All right. Same thing. It's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Thank you for your word tonight, Lord. Blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, I've already got this up here, but let's just go ahead and look at some of these verses now and talk about not loving the world, about the Antichrist. How many of you are, are, are appreciating this First John series? I hope you are, because you, know, you noticed that I got it on bigger font this time and darker ink. I just want you to know, I hear you, I hear you. I had some of you come up to me last, I mean several of you. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. And so there it is. That's font 14, and it's bold black. So there you go. Anybody can't see it? We're going to get you down here and pray for you. Anoint you with oil. All right. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. I used to read that and think, wow, I love the world. I appreciate the world. But here's where the, the Greek language comes in handy, and I, so I hope that you don't mind my going to the Greek a lot in this series, because it's necessary in this series more than in a lot of them. So the word world, do not love the world, is the word cosmos. And of course, we take the English word cosmos from it. 
And it can mean three things. It can mean the created order. It can mean all of humanity or the mass of humanity. Or it can mean all in the world that is against God or what we would call the evil world system. Now, obviously, John is not telling us not to love humanity. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, the mass of humanity, that he gave his only begotten son. So that's not what he's telling us, nor that we can't, uh, aren't to appreciate the creation of God. How many of you appreciate the creation of God? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day to day they utter speech. Night after night they show forth his knowledge. Psalms 19. I mean, the, the created world testifies of the reality of God. So he's not telling us to not love or appreciate that. What's he talking about then? He's talking about the evil world system that Paul tells us Satan is the God of. Well, where does Paul say that? He says it in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Let's read this together. Satan, who is the God of this evil world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So here you've got Paul telling us now, God is God. And he's, notice it's a small g. He's not calling Satan the God. But he is associating Satan with the way this world is constructed, that is, the system, the philosophy, the motives, the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere that is in this present evil world. The Bible calls the world we live in, in terms of its atmosphere and its belief system and its attitude towards God, evil. Because it's fallen. Hey, when man fell, we got invaded. The invader came in the form of Satan. So Paul is telling us, and it's very important for us to understand this, Satan is the god of this present evil world. It doesn't mean that he's literally god, but he is the author and the instigator of hostility to the true god. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see this in our culture right now, does it? I mean, you just got to watch the news. Watch the news. There is a hostility. I mean, it's unexplainable. It's unexplainable. Because it is an anger and a hostility and a mindset against Jesus Christ and his word. I mean, it's there. And you look at that and you go, what is the deal? What did Jesus ever do to them? Listen, folks, it has a spiritual source. And the source is the devil. And we're going to see in just a minute. It's a spirit, it's a spirit that John called the Antichrist spirit. That our world, listen, if you're walking with God through Jesus Christ, you're walking upstream. You're swimming upstream. It's an uphill walk. That's why we need the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why we need to be in the Word all the time. Because we're going against the grain of this culture. That's why it says, be not conformed to this what? Be not conformed to this world. What's the word? Cosmos. And what is it talking about? The present evil world. Don't be conformed to this present evil world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's what God is saying. It's an evil world. The thought system, the philosophies, the attitude towards God is evil. It's against God. So 
you are going to have to have your minds renewed where you think totally differently from people in this world. So, Paul describes our life in this world before knowing Christ. Listen to the way he describes the way we lived, the way we were before Christ. And you, he made alive. Who were once, what were you? Dead. You were dead. You were dead men, dead women walking. That's what you were. You, you could see, you could talk, you could hear, but your spirit was dead. And you were dead because of what? Trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this what? World. You were, you were conformed to this world. You were not transformed by the renewing of your mind. You acted, we were all cookie cutters. We were all cookies out of the cookie cutter of the world. And he says, according to the prince of the power of the air. And when he says air, that comes from a Greek word that means the evil atmosphere of earth, the realm of demons. The prince of the power of the realm of demons. Don't you know why you're in a warfare every day of your life? Because as long as we're on this earth, we are in the atmosphere inhabited by demons. That's exactly what Ephesians is telling us. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So there is no fence in God. You know, we talk about people, hey, he's just riding the fence. He's got one foot in and one foot out. No, you, you, you really don't ever have one foot in and one foot out. You're in the kingdom of God, and the Spirit of God is operating in you. Or you're in the world, and there is a demon spirit operating in your life. A demon influence. A demonic influence. This is why people do insane things. This is why our world is a crazy place. That's why I don't watch the news most of the time. It's oppressive. Because all they're covering is basically demonic activity manifesting in the world. So there is a, anybody who's not walking with God has a spirit, a demonic spirit, working in them. I got good news for you, though. A new world is coming with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. Amen? That's a new world is coming. That's the current world that we're talking about. But there's a new world coming with Jesus Christ reigning and ruling over that world. But right now, we are in the what, everybody? We're in the age of grace. We're in the age of grace. In this current age, there's tremendous warfare between the forces of evil and the forces of God. Have you ever just been walking along and suddenly felt oppressed and wondered where it came from? Felt heavy about something and wondered where it came from? Or felt your mind confused and wondering where it came from. Listen, folks, sometimes what we attribute to flesh, we need to understand what Paul said right here. Let's read it together. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of what? This world. Cosmos. Against the spiritual hosts of wickedness that are in heavenly places. Now, when was the last time you had a, a, a problem with a human being and you stopped and said to yourself, I'm not dealing with flesh and blood. 
When was the last time you had a marital conflict and either one of you stopped and said to yourself, we're not dealing with flesh and blood. There is a, there is a demonic spirit that is, I believe, been unleashed against every marriage in America and every home in America, every life in America. And if you're a believer washed in the blood of the Lamb and you have the Holy Ghost residing in you, you've got a target painted on your chest. And the enemy is going to come in. Because look, he says, you've got to have a revelation is what Paul is saying. You're not dealing with flesh and blood. Paul, that sounds kind of spooky. That sounds kind of Stephen Kingish. That sounds kind of Darth Vader kind of stuff. The force. But you know what? Here's what he said. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. There is a spirit operating in this atmosphere. This is the realm where demon spirits are fighting for the souls of men. Wow! We need a revelation. And you know what? When you realize that the devil coming against your home, you'll quit fighting with each other and stand in the middle of your living room and bind the devil. What is the devil's primary activity in this current world? Here's what it is. To blind the minds of the lost. That's what he said. In order to keep them from coming to Christ. Here's what the verse says. Whose minds. That's people who, have, who are lost outside of Christ. And what has happened to them? The God of this world blinded their minds. It's in the aorist tense. And here's the way it would actually read in the Greek language. The devil, he got to blinding them. That's what it means. He got to blinding them. The devil, in trying to keep people from Jesus, his tactic in warfare, he got to blinding them. So you got lost people. Have you ever wondered how in the world have I witnessed this person for 20 years and they're still not saved? He got to blinding them. This is the activity of the devil. He's a blinder. Satan blinds. Here's what he does. He blinds the thoughts, the reasonings, and false conclusions people come to when on hearing the gospel they reject it. That's why uh, Billy Graham, for instance, and his team will pray for weeks and months before they go and do a crusade. What are they asking for God to do? Remove the, the scales from the eyes of people because their minds have been blinded. That's what it says the devil's activity is. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. He works in their thoughts. What did Paul say in another place? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing into captivity every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. So that some people who are sitting there rejecting Christ after hearing the gospel, here's what's going on. The devil's operating in their mind. And he's saying, this is a bunch of hooey. Think of all those hypocrites you saw in church. This is just one of many, many different philosophies and religions. They're just kind of fanatical, and look at them, most of them aren't educated. I had a cousin lived in New York, highly intelligent guy, very, very 
uh, widely read, and he was my biggest persecutor in my family. When I started witnessing in my family, he would, he would fly to Dallas and mock me, ridicule me. He had all the learning, all the book stuff. And I used to pray for him. His name was Bill. And he said, you know, he would hit me with every intellectual argument. And intellectual arguments at their root. Listen, it's not that somebody has intellectually discovered there is no God. At the root of that argument is a rebellion against God. And they come up with these flowery arguments to justify they just don't want to submit to God. And that was him. Well, one night, he went to a crusade. And he took some of his friends to mock the preacher. And so they're up, and this was in New York, and so they're up in the balcony. This place was packed out, and the preacher was preaching. And they were mocking and making fun, poking each other, pointing to the people, calling them all stupid and ignorant and this and that and the other. And he said, he said to me later, Jeff, that's all I remember. <laughs> he said, I came to laying on the floor and something was all over me and I was crying and I said, Jesus, save me. And I'm listening on the phone in Dallas thinking, he's kidding me. Oh, really? That's, that's great, Bill. Real funny. He said, no, praise the Lord. I'm saved. And, and he, he, he said, I don't know what. I said, that was the Holy Spirit that got you, Bill. The Holy Spirit knocked you just like Saul. Knocked you to the ground because you were a rebel. Thank God. It was just a few years later. I was at his house while he died and went to be with Jesus. And his whole study was filled with Bibles and commentaries and all. He had just, he had just eaten alive anything he could find out about Jesus Christ. God touched him. But what happened? The Holy Ghost, by the mercy and grace of God, pulled the scales off his eye. Because his mind was blinded by the devil. That's what we need to pray for in church. You know, how do people come down and get saved before there's even a message? Because the power of the Holy Ghost moves. And the, the scales that were on their eyes, blinding their mind, are pulled away by the power and grace of God. Now this is important, the blinding issue, because the ultimate blinding is coming through the arrival of Antichrist. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. John says, don't love the evil world system. Some of John's readers were still loving the world system they had been saved out of. Literally, he says this, stop loving the world with a love called out of your hearts because you consider the world precious. Can I tell you all something? We are just passing through. This, our time in this world is a camouflage sandwiched in between two eternities. There is eternity past and there is eternity future. We're here for the blink of an eye. We're here like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So he says, don't fall in love with the evil world system. Don't love its ways. Matter of fact, he says, if anyone loves the evil world system, that's what he's saying when he says world, if anyone loves the world, 
The love of the Father is not in him. And I used to read that and think, well, that sounds pretty severe. But when I realized what he was talking about, when you look out there and you see the hate and the crime and the antichrist spirit, the, 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 the vile lifestyles and the filth and the degradation and the war and all that is out there in that world, if you love that, something's wrong with you. He's saying, if you've got the love of the Father in you, you can't love that mess out there. How many of you can testify that the more you go on with God, the more you kind of have a thing going on inside of you where you say, you know what, I'm here, but it's not my home. I'm here, but it's just not my home. We're pilgrims and sojourners passing through. It's not our home. It's like a hotel. It's like a stay at a hotel. You're here for a little while, then you check out. I heard some of you, well, I want to stay a while. I do too, but one day we're all checking out. Okay? Now look what he says. If anyone, the person who habitually, exclusively loves the world with no love for God is not saved. They're not saved. They need to get saved. Now look what he says. Let's read this together. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Proceeds out of the evil world system, which is energized by Satan. Those three things. Now let's talk about them real quickly. All right, the lust of the flesh is passionate desire or craving that comes from the evil nature. Not from your physical body. Remember now, who is John writing this? Uh, now we know who he's writing it to, believers. But why did he write it? Because of a group of folks, false teachers called F Gnostics. I told you all this. I'm going to give you some grace here. I'll give you another chance. Gnostics. And what were the Gnostics teaching? They taught that matter was evil. They taught matter was evil. Now this was real. This was, these were the false teachers of John's day. Gnostics taught that matter was evil. So if matter is evil, then no way Jesus Christ came in the form of a man because that would have given him an evil body. So Gnostics taught that the human body was evil. But when you get tempted to something fleshly, it's not your body that is evil. It is the evil nature, the totally depraved nature that is in you. Say, so, well, I thought I got born again. You did. So now you got a black dog and a white dog in you fighting. And which one wins? The one you feed the most. Paul said in Romans 8, he said, if we by the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Ghost, do put to death the deeds of the body, that, that he doesn't mean sarks the flesh. He means the fallen nature. If we put to death the evil cravings of the fallen nature, which uses the physical body, then we will live. So when you get tempted, it's not your flesh and blood skin that's making you tempted. It is the evil nature. I hear an angel's music. That's got to be a cell. <laughs> All right. Now, so do you understand? Say with me, my body's not evil. 
Say, well, it gives me all kinds of trouble. That's not what gives you trouble. It's a totally depraved nature in you. And you're going to have that until you go to heaven. That's what you battle with. But your body's not evil. You may need to diet. You may need to exercise it. It may give you all kinds of issues, but it's not evil. Amen, Pastor Jeff preached it. I really like that line. I thought my body, body was the problem. It's not. The lust of the eyes is the passionate cravings of the eyes for satisfaction. And, and what, are your eyes evil? No. The lust of the eyes comes from the evil nature, using the eyes. That's all. Say, thank God my eyes are not evil. <laughs> Say, if they stray, it's the evil nature, using them. Some of you need to know your body's not evil. I thought that rascal was evil. It's not. Now, the pride of life comes from a word meaning vain glory. It means braggart, talk, or display. John is talking about an arrogant and vain assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things. Literally, here's the boastful pride of life. When somebody's walking in the boastful pride of life, here's their philosophy. I don't need God. I don't need God. I'm bright, talented, have charisma, have money, have this and that. And I'm, I am secure in, in, the, in my ability to make my own way in this world. I don't need God. That's the pride of life. Get knocked down good once. And look them up and say, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. So those are the three things that are in the evil world system. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Those, that, that pervades the atmosphere of this current world. John assures us that this current age, energized by Satan and captivated by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the I don't need God attitude, is passing away like a parade goes by in the street. The end of it is coming. Aren't you glad to know that this evil world the evil system of this world is coming to a close. It's like we're watching the end of the parade. The whole thing has already passed by. Now the last of the parade of this evil system is going by. And it's about to come to a close. And here's where John's going with the whole thing. Because now he's about to introduce us to the Antichrist. He says, little children, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. It is the last hour. The last hour is not referring to a definite length of time but to the characteristics of a particular definite length of time. The characteristics of a time. I used to read John say, it is the last hour. And I used to say to myself, well, that's a long hour. Because we're still here. And we haven't been raptured yet. But that's not, he wasn't talking about duration. He was talking about the characteristics of a time period. Okay? Now follow me on this one. John is saying it's a critical season. Now, we're supposed to be in winter. Let me just make this simple. Usually, winters are cold. All the grass is dead. The trees have dropped their leaves. We can describe the characteristics of the season called winter. When it's summer, it's easy to describe the type of summer. Hot, hot, hot. If you say, it is the last hour, it is the last hour, 
He's saying this last time period is going to have certain characteristics just like a season. The expression last hour or last days in the New Testament refers to a of struggle and suffering preceding a divine victory. Now let's just read a couple of examples where the phrase last days or last hour is used. Read this with me in Acts 2.17. And it shall come to pass in the what days? The last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all Let's read 1 Peter 1.20. He, Jesus, indeed, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So the choice of Jesus Christ to come and die for our sins happened before the foundation of the world. But God waited for a season, a particular time, to manifest him. So the last hour does not refer to the end of the world, but to the time period preceding the appearance of Christ's kingdom. And John is going to tell us now, it's a time of trouble and danger marked by the appearance of many anti-Christ. The last hour, when did the last hour begin? The last hour began with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when the last hour began. I say that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, the age of grace began. And the hourglass measuring the last hour was turned upside down. When Jesus said it is finished, when our sins were covered, and the atonement was complete, when he rose from the dead, there's an hourglass, and it's the last hourglass. It's the last hour. It was turned upside down. And the grains of sand began to fall through. And where is that hourglass now? There's not much left at the top. For about 2,100 years, close to that, 2,000 years, the sand has been running through it. For the last 2,000 years, the sand of the last hour has been falling through God's timepiece. Now we must understand that there is a difference between a false Christ, pseudo Christos, that's the Greek word, pseudo Christos, a false Christ, meaning a pretender to the Christ. Somebody is a false Christ, they are a pretender. They are as if they were the Messiah. But Jesus warned, I don't know what to Jesus there, Jesus warned, for false and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to the seed if possible, even the elect. How many of you can remember at least once or twice in real life seeing on the news somebody who was saying, I'm Christ, I'm the Messiah. That's the pseudo Christos the false Christ. And that's not the same as the Antichrist. Antichrist, or Antichristos, means against or opposing Christ. Resistance to and defiance of Christ would be the mark of Antichrist. They're not going to act, uh, they don't want to act like this Jesus. He's going to be opposed to anything that has the faintest touch Jesus on it. The Antichrist is going to hate Jesus. Anti- says it all. Opposing. Actively opposing. Not the character in office. Antichrist still says that there even is a Christ. Now John says that many Christ are already on the scene in his day and tells us that this is a mark of the last hour. He says, you want to 
folks, I take it very seriously. When there's such a movement to take Christ out of Christmas. Why? Why? Why are you cool with it? Why are you thinking about it? Why are you concerned yourself with it? Because I saw beyond the only argument they were making, they don't want to offend people of other religions, and there's like 3% people in other religions, something like that. That wasn't his fault. It was of Christ. And it's growing in this country. Growing. In another country, right now, I saw this, uh, a lot of the maker of blue jeans. And this insignia on the blue jeans is international uproar. He said, I don't care because I hate Christianity. Blue jeans is upside down.
Thank you. 